0: Or are you ready to have those 50k followers? Because the business that's serving 50 thousand people is not the same as a business that's serving 500 or even 50. You have to be equipped to manage that. You have to have certain skills to manage that, and it's okay for you to develop them over time. But I feel like we have to be accepting of that.
1: What happens in between is all about the awkward middle phase of entrepreneurship. You know, after you've taken your first steps, but before you can live off your passion. Join me, Athena, as I learn from other emerging creators about the tactical and emotional methods they use to keep moving forward after the initial excitement of following your dreams meets the reality of following your dreams. Let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to What Happens in Between. Today, I'm joined by Denisha Henry who is the creator of the Chroma Network, a digital media brand and budding online community that champions personal and professional development for women of color. The Chroma Network aims to reduce the gatekeeping surrounding career advancement education, including access to women of color role models and mentors across industries through digestible online resources. Hey, Denisha, Thank you for being here. So I'd love to just start with a little bit of background on you.
0: Um, yeah, so I'm Denise Shea. I'm the founder of the Chroma Network, which is an online platform for women of color, which focuses on personal and professional development. And we really just aim to increase the confidence that women of color have from the inside out. So we don't just focus on career, even though that's a pretty heavy part of it. But we also talk about things like style, mindset, personal finance, just because I feel like it's all intertwined and it creates kind of a full package effect. So, yeah, that's pretty much the short version of what we do. We create content in a few mediums, so podcasts and blog.
1: Awesome. And what prompted the start of the Chroma Network for you?
0: It is a mix of a few things and I think like a few major parts of my life story, but I like to say Mm -hmm. that the theme or the common thread between all of it was access to resources. So a little bit more about me. I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and I transitioned from a public school to a private school at the age of 12. And, you know, if you watch Gossip Girl, like to say, you get like kind of a glimpse into New York prep school life. I mean, mine wasn't exactly like that, but you get the idea And one thing that I noticed when I did that trans when I did make that transition was this stark difference. Like I went from being in a classroom, which was pretty much overcrowded, like 30 to 33 students, to one teacher to having like personal relationships with all of my teachers, access to college counselors, college admissions officers, all of these extracurricular activities. And from doing that, I noticed that everything was a domino effect. Like from me being in that environment, I was then eligible for different scholarship programs that ultimately led to my admission to Penn. And then from there, I was getting these really amazing internships. And I just noticed that because I was in that starting position, it kind of gave me, I don't know if leg up is the right word to use, but it did play a major role in where I ended up. But then I noticed that, I guess, the more I started to progress in my early career journey, and I was entering these corporations, there were not a lot of women who looked like me. And then from there, I realized Mm -hmm. that that education, that access to resources, those soft skills that you need, the hard skills that you need, that education is not widely available and it's not something that we're taught in school. You know, it's kind of like, you you have to be there. You have to be in that room in order to get access to that, that kind of information. And I figured, yes, I believe I'm unique, but there are women Who are equally as talented, if not more, equally as intelligent, if not more, but they might just not have been in those same spaces, given access to those same resources. So I wanted to create the Chroma Network as a step in democratizing that information, making it more accessible, and then also making it approachable, just because I feel like a lot of the time it feels kind of stuffy. It feels a little bit pretentious. So I just wanted to do it in a way that felt like me. I care a lot about fashion and things like that. So just tying in all of those elements to make it um, approachable and digestible.
1: Yeah, I really love that because, I mean, I really think it is about access. I think half of opportunity is about where you are, right? Like there's absolutely preparedness, but there's a lot of luck involved. I really appreciate you for saying that there are Other people who are as qualified, but perhaps just weren't in, you know, weren't given access to the same resources.
0: Yeah, I think that's a major part of it.
1: So I wanted to, I want to go back to something you said where it came this, the idea or the desire to build the Chroma Network came out of. Several aspects of your life story, but you found the connecting thread. And I'd love to get a little insight on how you found that thread. And was it an active, were you actively searching or did it just come to you one day?
0: No, I think it was just a matter of reflection Mm -hmm. because I would say the other aspect of my life story would be my experience at Penn or as a Wharton undergrad because as I said before I really love fashion I love media I love entertainment and mm-hmm. I would love to explore the intersection of those things and that's kind of why I'm doing this as well I just think it's an, it just it's just another avenue for me to explore that but then being at like in an undergraduate environment that's so competitive and I feel like that kind of Focuses not focuses, because I feel like our education was extremely well-rounded, but just in terms of like career trajectory, I feel like it's heavily focused on like finance consulting that route. So for me, someone who's interested in the fashion industry and like the business behind that, I didn't really feel like I had a clear cut path for how I could explore that or how I could turn that into a viable career. Like I knew it existed, but because I wasn't seeing that clear-cut path in my undergraduate experience, it kind of mm-hmm. felt out of my hands in a way. And it wasn't until I think my junior year, I did an industry exploration trip and that kind of gave me a bit of a glimpse. But like for the most part, that wasn't something that I was heavily exposed to. And I was just thinking like, if I'm in this, this school, which is like one of the best, if not the best, and I feel confused, you know, there have to be other women in other places who don't have this much access and feel the same way, if not worse. So it was just a matter of reflecting on all of those experiences that I was having. And then I realized that the theme was access to resources. Like even though fashion and the business of fashion was not part of my education. I still had access to a trip where I got to go to different cities in Italy and visit these companies. Like that's not something that I feel like everyone has. And so I just noticed in reflecting that that was the theme.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you've mentioned, you know, you're multifaceted, you have a lot of interests. And when I was poking around the Coma Network's website I definitely saw all of that. Like it feels very much like you or like someone. It feels like chatting, Mm -hmm. which I really applaud you for. I think that's hard to convey in for something that is also meant to be professional development. But I really love that you even incorporate your love for fashion into the resources and the education in the Chroma network and I'd love to know how has embracing your your passions helped you to build this this very unique space.
0: Well thank you for saying that because that's something that I've been aiming for and that was my goal to kind of bring all of those elements together. So I really appreciate that you you found that to be true. Going back to the question, you're you're asking how has embracing my love or my passions helped me build a brand?
1: Yeah, It's not just about the brand necessarily, but I think it's really cool that you're able to incorporate these things that might seem unrelated into this.
0: yeah. I think for me, i i i I definitely see that. Like I see how those two worlds never interact. Mm-hmm. But for me, I think that they should. And that's the reason why I incorporate those things. Because going back to what I said in my introduction, like the goal that I have is to increase confidence from the inside out. Mm -hmm. I believe that the way that you put together a makeup look or an outfit, even though that's something that a lot of people see as trivial, I see that as a confidence booster. And I think that when you have the, that that form of education, when you feel confident in the way that you're presenting yourself, it just makes it that much easier for you to show up. And there, it's also like psychologically proven that the way that you present yourself can affect the perception that other people have of you. So I'm like, why do we not speak about fashion or speak about style or speak about beauty? Because I think all of those all of those things play a role, you know, and how we can show up. So those things, fashion, that's something I care about. I try to bring that to the table. Things like mindset, personal development, those are things I care about. I try to bring that to the table and merge those all into the content. I would like to do a bit more (laughs) like fashion content because even like my, like my past, I used to run a fashion blog, like a personal style blog. And that's something that I really love to do. But I think Sometimes I'm still in this phase where I'm second guessing myself because it does seem so unrelated, even though I do have a reason for including it. So Mm -hmm. that's something I'm definitely working on introducing more of in the coming months.
1: Yeah. And I think it's, I really love that your mission statement is clear, you know, so when you do feel like, why am I talking about fashion? You can go back to your mission statement and say, "Well, it's it helps to increase confidence." Um, so, how did you come up with this mission statement, or even your your why?
0: It took a lot. It took a lot <laughs> of drafting and brainstorming. I always had the like the vision. Like, I started out with pillars before I even came up with a formal statement. I knew that I wanted to do mindset career style because those are the three things that I think are most important to me. Mm -hmm. And because I knew that, then I had to find the connecting thread. And writing is something I enjoy. So like sitting down and actually doing the drafting, that wasn't really the hard part, but um, yeah, it was just kind of creating the narrative that would allow me to tie those three things together.
1: Yeah. Do you have any actionable tips for that?
0: For coming up with a mission statement?
1: Well, yeah, for creating the narrative. So say you have your pillars, because I think a lot of people, you know, will have our pillars, but then the part that's hardest and the part that some people don't ever get to is, you know, crafting it into a concise statement that you can hold on to.
0: Right. Well, I think it helps to start with your values. Mm -hmm. One, what's important. So that would be the actual pillars. And then I think it's important to think about your target audience or your target demographic. Who are you helping and how? And I think some people it's it, you, It's perfectly fine to keep it in that format. Like I'm A, then you say what it is that you do, who helps the person that you help and how you help them in like one to three ways. But then I think it's better if you can take that a step further And actually turn that into something that's more digestible and easier to read or more enjoyable to read. And I think that's how you create a really nice mission statement or vision statement elements like who are, what it is that you do, who you help, and how. I think those are the really important elements to make sure that you're including.
1: Yeah, I love that. Thank you. So I noticed, are you first generation American?
0: I am. My family's from Trinidad.
1: Yeah, I wanted to say Trinidad, but to be quite frank, I recently was looking at someone's Instagram, and her handle was Trini Girl. And then I was like, Oh no, am I conflating? I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to bring this into here if I just saw it on Instagram. Anyways, so yes, so you're first generation American, and as am I, also Caribbean. So I'd love to hear how how that influenced or impacted your your experience while at Penn and now while you're at Google? And I'm saying that sort of with an understanding of these are pretty very white spaces.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that in terms of value systems, like I'm very, very close with my family. Mm-hmm. I would spend my summers down in Trinidad with them. So I've always spent a lot of time with them. So I've never really felt distanced from my culture or my background in any way growing up also mm-hmm. growing up well it's funny because <laughs> I mentioned that I changed environments a lot but I always found or almost always found out as a commonality between my close like myself and my close friends so elementary to middle school when I lived in a neighbor, like an, an area that was heavily um, Caribbean background so all of my elementary school friends like that's something they had in common and even when I transitioned to private school all of my friends we all have Caribbean background so I always had that connecting point with the people that I'm close with and because I kept those relationships I don't think I've ever really struggled with Yes, you do. We all struggle with being the only and it is a weird feeling like that's always something that is going to happen. Mm -hmm. But because I had those relationships to fall back on, I always had someone to talk to about it. You know, so it's not something that I would say every day. I'm like thinking about like, Mm -hmm. yes, I'm conscious of it, but because I feel like I have such a support, a strong support system, whether it's my family or my close friends who also share that first gen experience, it's not something that I would say, is something that detracts from my day-to-day experience, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, makes total sense. So shifting gears back towards the Chroma Network, what is the biggest challenge that you've learned from
0: or are learning from? I think managing expectations is something that I've definitely had to learn and also cutting out the noise which I'll explain mm-hmm. so I definitely got caught up in the numbers or vanity metrics as people like to call them like how many likes am I getting how many followers am I gaining and it took me a while to not attribute so much importance to those things just because um, I realized that Okay, so currently I just broke a 1,000 followers on Instagram. Congrats. That took, wow, thank you. <laughs> that took me a while. And I'm still, Some sometimes I would be like, okay, like I'm a super small account. But if you actually reflect on it, I'm like, those are 1,000 people. Even if they don't all see my posts, those are 1,000 people that I could potentially interact with or affect in some way. And I think that when I internalize that and I focus more on building deep connections, then gaining a bunch of followers just, just to say I have them. I think the experience that I'm having has made it a lot. it's a lot it's a much it's a much better experience now that I've come to think of it that way. And yeah, I think that was a, bit, a major thing. And then also just not rushing the process. I think it can be, it's very easy to get caught up, especially in this social media age that we're in when you see people having success in what feels like overnight. Um, mm-hmm. we I feel like for people who are building brands and building businesses, it's very important to understand that these are still very early stages and it can take major corporations like 10 years to break through, you know, so kind of level setting there and realizing that it's okay for things to not be booming right away. It's okay to have slow moments or moments where you're questioning yourself or not really knowing what to do next. Those are all totally normal and okay things to be experiencing. So now I feel a lot more confident when it comes to that. And I'm just enjoying the journey because quite frankly, if I were to blow up overnight and gain like 30,000 followers, I would not know what to do. Like I would mm-hmm. not be ready for that. And I think it's also important that we understand that. Like, are you ready for what it is that you're asking for? Are you ready to have those 50K followers? Because the business that's serving 50,000 people is not the same as a business that's serving 500 or even 50, you have to be equipped to manage that. You have to have certain skills to manage that. And it's okay for you to develop them over time, but I feel like we have to be accepting of that, that in-between stage where we are developing those skills to be able to produce at that level or to be able to cater to people at that level.
1: Absolutely. That's the the thesis of the show, basically. Yeah. (laughs) So what resources have you used personally to help you develop those skills and and grow the Chroma Network?
0: Well, one, investing Mm -hmm. in the resources, I think, is important because I know for many of us who are just getting started and starting things out, budget is a huge constraint. You know, you can't always afford to get that graphic designer or that web developer, and you kind of have to bootstrap things and do them yourself. But I also realize that the things that I do invest in, I always see a return on it. So whether that's a course or some form of design for like the the visual elements, like the branding, all those things, when I do invest in it, I see a payoff and I see the difference. So yeah, I think that's very important. I try to listen to a few entrepreneurs. So like, I really like Pat Flynn. I think he gives amazing advice, just finding different thought leaders for the things that I need at that time. So whether it's things like email marketing or just general um, like business development, finding different thought leaders in those spaces and just following them, which is free Um, just taking the information that they give and then just using discernment to see if that's something that I need to invest in further. Cause I also feel like it's very easy. Like everything seems shiny and attractive and you kind of just want to get everything and read all the books and get all the courses, but you really cannot, there's only so much you can intake in a certain amount of time. So just being discerning about where I'm spending my time, because it's also very easy to get caught up in, the learning phase, the reading, the researching and not actually doing. And I think doing is also one of the best teachers So just um, finding a balance there between learning and doing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And in reference to shiny object syndrome, when, whenever you find yourself sort of like, ooh, maybe I should get into that. How do you kind of pull yourself back in and even check in with yourself and your goals for the brand in order to make sure that this is a worthwhile investment uh whether it's time or money
0: i'll be honest it's my credit card statement (laughs) that that was the the teacher like sometimes you know you don't you don't process it in the moment but that that is Mm -hmm. one way that you're gonna catch yourself and realize okay maybe i need to slow down and then from there um as I said before, just reflecting and realizing I only have so much time to commit to learning things before it starts to get in the way of me actually producing and staying on top of my, my deadlines. So yeah, I think sometimes if you're one of those people who is just very um, conscious and you're like, okay, I cannot, I cannot commit to this right now, I think you'll be fine. But if not, sometimes you, you have to learn the hard way with certain things mm-hmm. and um, just take stock of them after the fact, because that's what happened with me. It wasn't egregious, like I wasn't spending a crazy amount of money, but mm-hmm. it's just realizing like, okay, I, do, I did not need this in this moment and just reflecting on it after the fact has helped me to slow down tremendously. <laughs>
1: yeah, I agree. I mean, it's so it's so much fun and it feels... Uh, productive to take in a bunch of information or to buy this course or to do join this mastermind, something like this. But yeah. there is really that the bottleneck is in what you can implement right now.
0: Exactly.
1: Right. And so you do, I want to give you your flowers. You work at Google. Okay. She's hardworking, <laughs> she's talented. <laughs> I would love to know how you are balancing or even how you're creating time to put out content for the Chroma network while balancing what I assume is a, a demanding job.
0: Yes, you are correct. <laughs> Honestly, at first, I did not have a system for any type of balance. I was mm-hmm. either I was working and not working on Chroma, or I was working on Chroma and not working. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I feel like I've gotten a lot better at figuring out when my mind works best and how much time I can actually devote. So I try to be, I don't know, I feel like my, my approach might be different from a lot of people who balance a nine to five with a passion project or a side hustle, which Mm -hmm. which you prefer to call it. Um, But I know during the week, my mental capacity is very limited so after 5 p.m or 6 p.m whenever I log off work it's very unlikely that I'm going to accomplish a lot of things especially because I like to go to bed early mm-hmm. so it's very unlikely that I'm going to accomplish a lot of things so I try to factor that in and I'll either wake up early so in the weekdays i probably wake up at like 5 30 or 6 And I'll try to get a few things done then. Or on the weekends, I tend to devote a lot of time to getting things done. And also, I like to break up larger tasks into smaller subtasks. That makes it easier for me to fill things in during the week and see what I need to get done on the weekend when I have a lot of time and I have a lot of energy versus on a weekday morning when I have less time. So that's been very helpful in creating balance. But I'm not one of those people that's going to be like, "Oh, you have a 9 to 5 and a 5 to 9" because I tried that and you just get it it takes away cuz you you're still on the clock. You still need this full-time job in order to fuel your, you know, your passion project. So you right. have to make sure you're you're on when you're on and you're giving your best. So, I like to stay well-rested. I'm not going to lie to anyone listening to this podcast and I also think it's important that you know how to ask for help. So one of my friends, she currently helps me out sometimes when it comes to creating social media graphics. I will tell her, you know, what I need or what I'm envisioning, or sometimes she'll have an idea and she'll just contribute something. And that's been a major help. It's not like um, she's like an employee or anything. She just helps me out as a friend. And that has made a major difference when it comes to my productivity, because, you know, social media takes up a lot of time and then there are other forms of of content you have to produce and other things that you have to manage. So if there are any areas where you can pull in help, even if it's not an ongoing thing, sometimes she's unavailable because she has other things going on. And I'm totally okay with that because, you know, she's just volunteering to help me out. Um, But I think if you can get help in any areas. That makes a huge difference, too. And outsource things, um, things that I know I don't enjoy. If I can find someone to help me out, like with editing or things like that, Mm -hmm. I will definitely pay for that just because it frees up so much time um, and helps me stay on top of my schedule. So asking for help, outsourcing and knowing when your mind works best. Those are my three things.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I absolutely agree with you on the sleep thing. Like I can't do a five to nine if I'm trying to get to bed by 9 (laughs) p.m. It doesn't work. And I I also really appreciate you mentioning help because I think often when people are answering this kind of question, although unconsciously or unintentionally, we do forget that actually it, it can take a village and there's no shame in like outsourcing things. Exactly. Um, Right. So cacao, now it's time for the seedling round where short questions lead to tasty answers. What's your best advice for your 18-year-old self?
0: I would say my best advice for my 18-year-old self is to be patient and more understanding of the way that I, how do I say I would say- My advice for my 18-year-old self would be to have more patience with myself and be more forgiving of myself. I think that I was a bit more, I was just way too hard on myself and Mm -hmm. did not understand that transitions are difficult and they deserve time dedicated to them for making adjustments. And I just think about um, like going from high school where I had a routine and I was good at everything and I didn't really face that many challenges to like Wharton where I was just, it took me a while to get in a flow, get in routine and actually start to see academic success. And I didn't understand that just because I was so used to always being successful and not really mm-hmm. facing any type of adversity, even though grades are like small scale adversity, but it was a major knock to my confidence. And I think it kind of carried over into other areas. So I think knowing what I know now and seeing the person that I was when I graduated and how much I had grown and improved from where I was when I started, it would just be to be more understanding of transitions and allowing myself to adjust.
1: Yeah, I really feel that. Yeah, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How do you measure time?
0: I guess if it's outside of the traditional sense, I measure time in accomplishments, how much I actually get done and how much I have to show for the time that I was working. If I'm not working, it's joy, how much happiness I derive from that moment if I'm spending time with friends. I'm really working on just focusing on one thing. So if I'm having family time or if I'm hanging out with friends, I try not to think about work or think about the things that I have to do for Chroma. So yeah, I would say how much I've achieved, whatever my goal is. If it's productivity, then it would be that. If it's happiness, then it would be that. But different things for different moments.
1: Yeah, I love that answer. Uh, What do you need to be reminded of?
0: That it's okay to pause mm. because I feel that I sometimes feel guilty for wanting to do other things. Like, I wrote an email about this because a few weekends ago, I started reading a book and I really liked it. And I didn't want to do anything else besides read that book. Like, I didn't want to make social media posts. I didn't want to write blog posts or emails. I just wanted to read the book. And I was feeling so bad because I was just like, okay, now I'm going to be behind and I'm going to have to catch up. But it's okay to have moments where you just want to do things that make you happy. Not that running this brand doesn't make me happy, but it's just a different type of pleasure. And I think that we need to be, or I need to be, okay with that, that there are moments where I can do other things and I don't have to be on all of the time.
1: Mm, Amen to that one. (laughs) You're really speaking to me
0: today. (laughs)
1: Cacao, that ends the seedling round. So I have two questions for you. What is your greatest ambition?
0: Hmm, My greatest ambition is to live a life where I'm fulfilled in all the areas that are important to me. And right now those are family, finances, business, and relationships. Um, I try not to get too specific just because I feel like when you plan things out at this super granular level, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it becomes difficult when you get thrown off course. So I try to stick to values and those are like the four that I think are most prominent for me. So just living a life where I feel content with all of those things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And what is the question of the week?
0: The question of the week that I have?
1: You. It can be one that you have or one that you want the audience to sit on.
0: Okay. Then my question of the week is... What really matters? Mm. And that's my question just because I feel like at least I'm starting to think about this a little bit more. I just feel like we put so much pressure on things that aren't that big of a factor in the end, whether it's the opinions of other people. I think that's a huge one that our age group or generation deals with or... Mm -hmm. what to do next, I feel like we put so much pressure on things that ultimately aren't going to matter in five minutes or five years. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really good to sit down and reflect on what really matters and if the things that you're thinking about are going to be as grave as you think they are right now. And that's something that's been, been challenging for me, Um, because I tend to catastrophize a lot, (laughs) and I also tend to overthink things. But um, yeah, I think if there's something that's on your mind, I like to say it's on your mind for a reason. So if there's something that you're interested in, something that you want to explore, I think the best thing you can do is just go for it. I think that feeding into the fear of what other people have to say can hold you back unnecessarily <laughs> and I think it only hurts you in the long run. So my question of the week is what really matters?
1: Thank you. I love that question. Um, and I've been, I've been tackling a similar thing uh, for about two or three weeks. I've been asking myself in the morning, what do I really want? Because I think Mm -hmm. we just need, we need a little bit of clarity. And as you said earlier, like cutting out the noise, I think is its own part-time job (laughs) that I think we should be working on.
0: Yeah. Anything that makes me doubt myself, doubt my path, I just mute it Mm. in the literal sense, in the metaphorical sense, because now you can mute people on social media. So I mute it. Like, because it just, it's just wasted energy. Like the time that you spend doubting yourself because you see someone doing something that you think you should be doing is time that you could spend actually doing that thing. So I just try to cut it out. Yeah, absolutely. Well,
1: thank you so much for being a guest. Where can people connect with you?
0: You can connect with me Mainly by going to the Chroma Network website, which is www.thechromanetwork.com, or following us on social media. Instagram is where we're most active and that's at Chroma Network. And just a slight plug, uh-huh. our podcast will be launching new episodes starting the first Tuesday of April. So uh-huh. the beginning of April, we'll be back in the podcast sphere. So those are three major ways to connect.
1: And the podcast is called The Chroma Network?
0: It's called Chroma Radio.
1: Chroma Radio. If you're going to do the plug, I need you to do the whole (laughs) plug. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks, guys, for listening. As always, you can hang out with me online via Instagram at what happens in between spelled just like how it's spelled. You already know. And if you enjoyed this episode and you like the show, please subscribe, rate and review, share it with your friends, and tag me in things. (laughs) Wow, sorry. I truly am having a brain fart. Yep, you guys know what to do already. I'm not going to drone on and on. I will catch you next week. Bye-bye.